Well, if you would grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're finishing up our 1 Corinthians study this morning. Andy mentioned last week we began 1 Corinthians back in September, the end of September. And for us, that's a long time to spend in a book. We usually go through books fairly quickly, but I hope it's been an encouraging series for you. I hope it's been a a shaping series for us as a church. And as we get to chapter 16, if you uh, will read through it, obviously, over the next few minutes, but if you kind of look ahead, you'll see that chapter 16, much like many of the pastoral epistles in the New Testament, is filled with a a lot of greetings and final instructions. And I wonder, as you get to chapters like this, as you're reading through books in the New Testament, you know, how do you, how do you approach them? The greetings and final instructions chapters, do you often sort of skip through them? Uh, do you go, okay, all the meat of the, of the book is kind of done, and now, you know, Paul or Peter or whoever is just kind of listing a group of people, a lot of names that I can't really pronounce. I'm not really sure what to do with a chapter like this. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that's kind of typical. That's okay. That's really what oftentimes these last chapters are. They are final instructions and greetings. There is stuff there for us to, to glean. This is still the Word of God, things to pull out for sure. It's funny to me, though, as I read through different commentaries. Uh, I, and that was true this week, looking at a chapter like this. You know, some, some, some guys really swing for the fences and trying to pull out something really profound out of, out of chapters like this. And it's, it's interesting to me. You know, you read a greeting about a name and they'll launch into this whole thing that just sounds really deep and theological and spiritual. And you think, man, that'll preach. And you look back at the text and go, but I'm not sure that's actually in the text, but that's okay. There's a place for that. You know, if it's, uh, if it's, um, if it's biblical, hey, God bless you. Go for it. Uh, but you'll find this morning that uh, we're going to just kind of read it at face value. Uh, I do think that there is something important for us to pull out of it, but I'm not going to be swinging for the fences or digging into something that you're going to wonder where the heck I got it from. Uh, we're just going to look at, at the fact that Paul here is writing to a group of people. Remember that he's just, he's just finished a pretty heavy letter to them. If we look at 1 Corinthians and, we, and you want to classify it with a sort of a theme. What's the theme of the letter? Negatively stated, we could say the theme of this letter has been one of correction, right? You got this church with all kinds of problems and lots of sin, and they're not reflecting Christ as the church ought to reflect Christ. In other words, they look like a lot of other churches, including our own church at times, right? They've got problems. And so there's this theme of correction. Paul is saying, look, here's what's wrong. Here's where your focus is. Here's where it needs to be. You need to be looking back to Christ, right? Positively stated, we could say that that, was, that is the theme of the letter. It's look to Christ, right? We're correcting, I'm correcting you, but, I, but there's this sense of potential. This is, this is not what the church is, me, is meant to be. There's something more that God has for us. And I think chapter 16 is a way in which he points us back to the positive theme of the potential This is what a healthy church ought to look like. And as I was thinking through the text, uh, one thing struck me this week that I thought was probably pretty pretty appropriate. And it was was a quote that many of you probably heard from, of all people, Mr. Rogers. 
Fred Rogers, who said this. He said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You'll always find people who are helping. I love that quote, you know, especially for a, a, a child, right? When you see something scary and you, just, you can be so overwhelmed by the bad things that's, that are going on in front of you, look that, that there's something good happening. There are people who are helping. There are people who are stepping in, right? There's evidences of God's grace still yet in the, in the midst of the brokenness of our world. And that, that thought occurred to me over and over again as I'm thinking about what Paul must be thinking as he's writing these last uh, greetings and instructions to the church. This church, again, was full of scary problems. He's been encouraging them, look to Christ. First and foremost, look to Christ. And you'll see that he completes the letter with that same encouragement. Look at verse 21. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Right? If anyone is, is, is not looking to Christ, let them be accursed. That's not, that is not a disciple. That's not a follower. Judgment falls on those who don't look to Jesus. But for us who do, Jesus, come. We need to look at him. We need to, we need to, to, to live in the grace that he gives to us. This is the life that he's called us to. So he starts the letter by saying, look to Jesus. He ends it by saying, look to Jesus but he also ends the letter by encouraging them to look to and therefore become like the people who are helping to restore the church to a place of health. Look to the helpers and not just look for them like Fred Rogers was told by his mom, but for, for, for the sake of the church, I think Paul's saying, become like them, emulate them. This is how the church becomes healthy. What's the difference between a healthy church and an unhealthy church? We could make a long list of things that might qualify for things that healthy churches and unhealthy churches do, but I think we could look at this letter and say, look, the Corinthian church has given us a stark example of what makes for an unhealthy church. And here it is, very simply put, they're inwardly focused. They're selfish. Unhealthy churches are full of people who are more worried about themselves than they are worried about loving God and loving others. It's about them, not about others. That's the difference between a healthy church and an, un an unhealthy church. A healthy church is an outward church. A healthy church understands that these instructions that Paul has given over and over to say, let love be your guide. Do all things in love. Love God love one another, that makes a church healthy. It doesn't make a church perfect. We'll never be perfect this side of heaven. But, but a healthy church is a church that loves. It's outward. So if you want to be a healthy church, and I hope you do, Edgewater, and I think we are, by the way, but if we want to be more so, we need to keep growing in health, look to Christ and look to the helpers 
those who know that it's not about them, but about loving others well. And I think that's what he's getting at here in these last instructions and greetings. So what I want to do is, is I've, I've got sort of five groups that Paul wants us to, to look to and emulate in the text. And the first one is this, look to the giving churches. Look out there, Corinthian church, you guys aren't, you guys aren't doing so hot. Look to some other churches who are healthier and look to the giving churches. Verse one, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So he's saying, look to the Galatian church. I've given them these instructions. They've been faithful in them, by the way, and so should you. What are the instructions? On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So what's the background here? And by the way, babe, would you be, do me a favor and hand me my glasses? I'm blind as a bat up here. Thank you. So hard to read. I have a large print Bible and I still can't see it. Getting old is not fun. Ah, better. Background. Look to these giving churches. What's going on here? Well, the church in Jerusalem, which if you, if you, if you understand you know, the, the progress of Christianity, the spread of Christianity in the New Testament, this is the, this is the first church, the mother church, right? The church in Jerusalem, they were suffering at this time because the whole region in that area was under a terrible drought. So, you know, this is agricultural economy. So in a drought economy, everybody's suffering, right? And that would happen still to us today, even as we're diversified in our economy. But they were certainly left poverty-stricken by this drought that was going on. They needed help. The church in Jerusalem, which had birthed all of the other churches, had now become the, the neediest of the churches. It had become poor. And so Paul gives instructions to the Gentile churches that were the fruit of the ministry that began in Jerusalem to say, look back and help these brothers and sisters who are hundreds of miles away from you, who many of you have never even met, but we have this bond. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Give to them, help them, care for them. And there's just three things that I, I think he points out here that, that we, ought to, we ought to take note of and think about how it directs the way we think about generously caring for other believers, whether it's other churches or whether it's believers within our own context, especially those who are in need. The first thing is, he, sa he says, to, to do this consistently. Healthy churches give consistently. He says, on the first day of every week, set aside something. So it's, he said, I don't want to come and, and have to do like a, a campaign and, and do a collection. This should be a part of your every week habit as the body of Christ that you're bringing an offering to support the needy Christians either among you or in the world. I think to say that this would be certainly true of the way we think about our, our, our tithing, our normal giving to the church, to the Lord, but, but this seems to be on top of that as well, or at least a part of that consistently setting aside. And he says, do this, you know, as, as you may prosper. So secondly would be proportionately. Do it consistently. 
Do it proportionally. As God has blessed you, recognize that, again, God gives every good gift. Every good gift comes from the Lord. Every provision that you have comes from the Lord. And as we've been learning all throughout 1 Corinthians, especially in chapter 12, that we're to use the gifts that God has given to us to minister to the body of Christ. So if God has proportionally given you more, he's proportionally asking you to share more with others in the body. Give consistently. Give proportionally. And then lastly, give deliberately. So again, that there would be no collecting when I come. You have this this, this mindset, this intent, that this is just something that we do. We give. We're giving people. This is reflective of the heart of God. It's reflective of the activity of God who has given to us his son Jesus, who has given to us everything. The church is to be a reflection of the God who's called us to himself. And so Paul is, is saying to them, Corinth, look, you guys have not been a good reflection. You want to be a reflection? You need to be a reflection. Look to the churches that are givers. This is how you reflect God. One other thing I think is important to note that in this particular example, and I think it should serve as an example for all of us, not only is this a socioeconomic issue, you have, you have much these Galatian churches. And by the way, Corinth was a very prosperous city. So we're, we're looking at a church that probably has a significant amount of wealth in the congregation. Not only are you, are you prosperous, but, but there's this, there's this uh, uh, clear divide that is commonly addressed throughout the New Testament churches between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers, right? And a big part of the strife between the Gentiles and the Jews, they didn't get along very well, is that there was, you know, this, there, there was this, this ethnic difference between them, right? And in the church, we're seeing that, look, as God has brought you together in one family, you are, there's no divide, there should be no divide. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile in the body of Christ. It doesn't mean there's no Jews and Gentiles in the world that we live in, though, right? It doesn't mean that there's no ethnic divides. And, and yet here we see that not only is it a socioeconomic issue, but, but it's an ethnic issue, too. Look beyond those divides of the world. Look beyond the partisanship of the world and give as brothers and sisters, loving one another well. This is reflective of the heart of God. And so I think these are principles that we need to to continually come back to? Are we a giving people? Does our profession of faith in Christ, this one who's given all for us, does it, is it evidenced by the way that we live our lives? Are we givers? And if we're givers, then we'll see the fruit of that in that we are consistent in it, we're proportionate in it, we're deliberate in it, and we're crossing divides. So that's the first thing. Look to the giving churches. The second thing is sort of a, an outflow of that. It's not just looking to become givers materially, but to be givers of our very lives. And so Paul says, look to himself, look to Paul. Look at the next few verses, starting in verse 5. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you might help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. 
But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul's desire is to, uh, to be with the church. He wants to spend time with them. And he says, right now I'm staying in Ephesus because there's opportunity. Paul is always missional. He's always looking for the open door that God gives. And he says, there's an open door right now. There's a lot of opposition right now. I need to be here, but my desire is to be with you. And he says something important. I think those, the verses six and seven here are really key. He's saying, I don't want to just pass through. That, I could easily just kind of pass through on my way back and, and take the, the gift to Jerusalem if that's what we're going to do and just sort of you know, give you all a, a, a hearty hello and then be on my way. But my desire is to stay with you because he recognized that in giving of ourselves, it's not just a matter of giving our treasure, but it's about giving our time. It's about giving our lives to one another. And isn't that the heart of Christian love and discipleship? To invest ourselves. I want to stay. St- I want to stay the winter with you if I can. I want to I come to this church. And this is remarkable because this church is messed up. Right? If, you were, if you were picking a church that you were going to stay at for the winter, you probably don't want to go to the church that's all jacked up. You know, I'll just go on to where the healthier churches are. But Paul's like, no, I want to stay with you. I want to invest in you. I want, to, I want to give of myself more to you. And he says it's a two-way street. I want you to be able to, to learn what it means to give to me too, that you would help me on my journey. I want to pour into you to help you get healthier. And it takes time. To do that. Can I ask you guys a, a, a Netflix question? I know you guys are on Netflix a lot. I am too. I'm not, I'm not judging that. Have you watched, anybody watched uh, Last Chance You, the basketball version? Okay, some of you have. If you haven't watched it, I want to highly encourage you to watch it for this very principle, this idea of investing your life in people. The, 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 the whole premise of the, of the show, it's a documentary, it's, it's, it's real life, it's a, it's a year in the life of the East Los Angeles College, it's a junior college, basketball team, and the, and the bottom line is, you've got all these players, if you know anything about Juco Ball, Juco Ball is where all the guys who, 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 who haven't made it wind up. So maybe they were good enough in high school to get a scholarship to a D1 program, but their grades were terrible. Or maybe they made it to a D1 program and, and they, they flunked out. Or there's life circumstances that have gone on that have prevented them from just being successful in the very basics of life. So you get these junior college basketball programs that are, that are made up of, of a lot of these sort of just down and out players. And that's the case here in East Los Angeles. But there's this coach there. His name is John Mosley. And this is why I want you to watch the show. All right? John Mosley is a believer and John Mosley had an opportunity and, 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 and has worked in Division I uh, coaching, but he felt called by God to just like be in East LA and just plant himself to love these kids. And we're talking about players who have been in prison. We're talking about players, many of whom have completely broken family lives, you know, uh, have been you know, in and out of, 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 of gang you know, uh, temptations and all those kinds of things, certainly struggling in life. And this guy, Mosley, just is like, I, I need to be here. And you watch the, the series go, and he's not just coaching them. He's in their lives. He's helping them with school. 
He's helping them work through their family uh, issues. He's helping them work through the brokenness of their lives every single day, and it wears them out. And, 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 the, and the documentary people are going, why do you do this? And he said, because, but by God's grace, that was me. And by God's grace, these guys don't have to stay like this. So I want to win, but my biggest priority is to get every single one of these kids a scholarship so they can get out of here. And spoiler alert, he's pretty successful at it. That's, I think that's what Paul is saying to us. Look, you've got to invest in people. You know, It's not about being in passing. If we're going to have discipleship relationships that build health, that change people's lives, it's going to require healthier lives stepping in and saying, I got you. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'll walk through this valley with you. And I think that's exactly Paul's heart for the church in Corinth. You know, I want to be with you. So look to the giving churches. Look to Paul. Quickly, I'll, I'll just go through uh, two other groups. First, he says, look to Timothy and Apollos. When Timothy comes, verse 10, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. And now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Just a couple of, uh, of, of observations uh, on Timothy and Apollos. First of all, Paul says, look, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Now, Timothy is probably not the guy that they want. Paul is the guy that they want. Why? Because Corinthians love eloquent leaders. They love, you know, and even Paul doesn't get enough credit from them on that front. Timothy, even less so. Timothy's just, you know, the mentee of Paul. He's like, he's second string, right? And so Paul says, look, I'm sending him to you. Don't despise him. Why would they despise him? Well, we know that from Timothy's letters that Paul has had to instruct him not to, not to let people despise him because he's young. But also, you know, he's part Jewish, Gentile church. That's another issue that could come up here, right? Again, he's not Paul. He's not the guy they want. He's not Apollos. Remember, Apollos, early in the letter, was one of the people that they were like, I follow Apollos, when they were dividing into factions. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Nobody was saying, I follow Timothy. That didn't come up. So what's the principle here? The principle here is God gives every good gift. So look to and emulate the gifts that God has given you. If God gives you a Timothy, look to Timothy, right? Be thankful for a Timothy. What is Timothy coming to do? Timothy is coming to do, as Paul says, what I have done. He's doing the work of the Lord. So you've got a guy here who's doing the work. Look to him. Emulate him. And Apollos, why, why didn't Apollos want to come? Well, we, we get to purely speculate on this. But there's two interesting speculations. One is that if Apollos knew that he was part of the, the faction, you know, problem going on earlier in the letter... He wasn't a part of it, by the way, but if they were saying, look, I, I follow Apollos, and he knows that, like, this is, this is messed up. If I come there, there might be a temptation for people to elevate me, and maybe that's why he was like, I, I don't want to go right now. I don't want to continue that problem. 
Maybe it's better if I stay away. Maybe I can better serve this church by actually not being there. That's perhaps part of it. Or it's maybe just that Apollos had, like Paul, something more urgent going on in front of him, and he had the work of God somewhere else, and so he's like, I'll come later, but right now I gotta, I gotta be doing what I'm doing. Either way, Paul is pointing to, again, two servant leaders and saying, look to guys like this and emulate guys like this. And then other servant leaders he mentions in verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the house of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And they've devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they've made up for your absence for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. So these, these guys were Corinthians, and these are the guys that probably took the, the I've said earlier in the, in the letter that Paul is responding to correspondence that the Corinthians had sent to him. These are the guys that brought that correspondence to Paul. They visited Paul from Corinth. And so Paul is saying, look, these guys there's some guys among you. Even though this church has got problems, here's some examples of some, some healthy, solid brothers that are in your congregation. Look to them. They're servants. And I'm grateful for them. And they've been a refreshment to me. And now they're coming back to you. Again, honor them. Honor people like that. All the people who serve God like that. God has given them to you. You're not all jacked up. Give recognition to such people. Look to them and emulate them. Verse 19, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. What's interesting about this is Aquila and Prisca were, again, originally in Corinth. They were probably the, the, the first house church in Corinth. They, in other words, they hosted the believing community there. And then the Lord moved them to plant elsewhere. And so Paul is saying that now where he's at, they're hosting a house church there. They were probably a fairly wealthy couple, and they probably therefore had the space in their home to invite others in. And so Paul is saying, look, again, you've got these examples. Look at people like this. There are people who are giving of their lives, who are serving the church, who are serving me, and they're greeting you. And I think he's just saying, look, there's, there's so many people to look to. There's so many people who are in whom and through whom God is doing so many good things. Look to them. And then finally he says, in all of that, as we're looking to Christ, as we're looking to the helpers and emulating them, the summation of so much of what he said in this letter is found in verses 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Isn't that a summation of so much of what the whole letter is laid out? Be watchful. Again, look out. What are we to be watchful for? We're oftentimes in Scripture told to be watchful for things that can threaten us, right? 
Be watchful. Look out for the culturally informed attitudes and philosophies and idolatries that have threatened you and continue to threaten you to make you more of a people of the world than people of the word. Watch out. Be watchful. This is, this is your Achilles heel, Corinthian church. You're so easily sucked into the worldly philosophy, the, the cultural dominant ideals that just draw you away from Jesus. Keep your eyes peeled. And stand firm in the faith, secondly, which is to say, look to Jesus Christ. Power through weakness, that's the message of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Not power through status, not power through, you know, me being better than you, me, you know, looking out for number one rather than looking out for you. No, power through weakness, self-sacrifice, that's the message of the gospel. That's where God's wisdom is found. Trust in him. Don't trust in yourselves. And keep the good deposit of the gospel that you've been entrusted with. That's what it means to stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong, he says. I want you to know that that's not a, uh, it's not, it doesn't mean act like men, don't act like women. What it means is, again, he's been talking so much in this letter about spiritual maturity. It means act like grown-ups, don't act like children, Right? Be strong, be mature, not childish in your Christian living, in your attitudes towards one another. Seek maturity. And again, the great summation, let all be done in love. This is the summation of the motivation behind our worship, our service, the use of our spiritual gifts, our giving, the way we, we care for one another in the congregation. It is about others-centeredness, not self-centeredness. Do all things in love as you're watchful, standing firm, and mature. And finally, he says in verse 20 there, which the only verse I haven't yet read, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This is just a warm gesture of, of outward affection. He's saying, I want this inward reality of what Christ is doing in you to be made evident in, in your outward lives as, as you give to one another, as you serve one another. There should be affectionate, uh, obvious affection in the congregation. And so what was culturally normal and acceptable as a way to greet one another and to extend love was to give a kiss. Give this holy kiss, he says. Now, our culture is a little different, right? So this is not, you know, sometimes it's important to understand in Scripture what's an explicit command and what's more of just sort of like a, a general principle. This is not an explicit command to kiss each other because in our culture that might be received a little differently, right? You need to be aware of that. Guys, this is not like the, 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 the best spiritual pickup line you can come up with. The Bible tells me I got to greet you with a holy kiss, you know? Don't do that. If you do that, you're likely to get a holy punch in the nose, right? And it would be more holy than your kiss, I would think, in that case. So you got to know the difference between cultures, right? Um, but the point is to show genuine affection. Show genuine affection outwardly as a sign, of a, as a reminder of our bond in love in Christ, which I got to say, during this whole COVID thing, that's been one of the things I've missed the most in our Sunday morning gatherings is our greeting time. 
So many of you would push back on that for a long time, like, oh, I have to turn around and say hi to the people next to me. That's kind of awkward. And I kept saying, no, this is what people who are family do, right? And, and, then, and then I watched you guys grow to love it. And now you miss it. I know you miss it. I miss it, you know? Outward expressions is the body of Christ, doing something totally countercultural to say, I am so happy to see you. I love you. I I'm here with you. We are family. And Paul's saying that's an important part of being healthy as a church. That's the gist of the text. Again, it's, it's greetings, it's final instructions, but there's, there's a clear trajectory in there towards like this, this is the opposite of all the stuff I've been correcting. You've been so inward. This is what outward looks like. And I want to just say, look, again, there's no such thing as a perfect, healthy church. There's no such thing as that. Every church can suffer the same problems that the Corinthian church had. And to some extent, every church will suffer those problems. But what makes a healthy church healthy is this is a church that, that, that pursues health, Right? And as you pursue it, you're achieving it in greater measure. But if you're not pursuing it, you're not healthy. Healthy just means you're, you're, you're on that road. You're looking to Christ. You're looking to the helpers in the church, the spiritually mature who are, who are doing the work of the ministry. And you're saying, that's what we need to be. I want to emulate them. I want to grow up into greater health with them as a full community. The Corinthian church had problems. Yes. But Paul is reminding them at the end of the letter, you are not without hope. You're not without potential. Notice Paul doesn't encourage people to leave the church. This church has got problems. If I were you, I'd go down the street, go find a better church, leave this church. He's not doing that. We will so easily do that. And Paul's saying, no, dig in. Hold fast to this church. There's still good examples here. God is still at work here. There are still those who are serious about their faith in this congregation. There are people here who are, are, are obedient to Jesus and, uh, and serious about helping to change this church for the better. The rest of you, just look there. God is still at work. Look to what he's doing. Look at Christ. Look at the helpers and emulate it. I think Edgewater, as I said before, is a healthy church. I also know that Edgewater has problems. But, but be encouraged at this. We have two very important things going for us. The first one is this. We have leaders here who remind us to look to Jesus regularly. And I'm not just talking about the pastors or the elders. I'm talking about leaders in the body. We have leaders in this body who are constantly pointing us to Jesus and saying, look to Jesus. And that's a, that is a gift. That's the most important thing we can have. And along with that, we have incredible helpers who lead by example. I was trying to write down just, just some of the, of, the, of the examples in this church, and I had to stop myself because I could have written pages. 
But I want to share with you just what, what, I, what came to my mind first as I'm thinking about the helpers that God has blessed us with here at Edgewater. And I'm, and I'm going to share this with you without sharing names, although some of these people are going to go, oh, I know who that is. I know who that is. But I'm sharing this with you because I want to remind you to look to them and emulate them. At our members' meeting last week, I mentioned that El Calvario, our, the Spanish-speaking congregation that's been meeting here for 30 years as a sister congregation. They have not met at all since the beginning of the pandemic, but they are going to start meeting here again on Easter Sunday. And I mentioned that in our members' meeting, and it didn't even dawn on me, it didn't even dawn on me that when they come back, all of the technology in this room is going to be completely foreign to them. We have all this new equipment, and they're going to come in and be like, uh, what do we do? Didn't think about it as I was talking with their leadership. But one member of our congregation, after hearing that happening in the members meeting, I got CC'd on an email the next day where they emailed directly the leadership of El Calvario and said, we have all this new equipment. I know how to run it. I'll be happy to meet with you and I'll train you. I'll show you how to do it. I want to make sure that when you come back, you can be completely undistracted by those kinds of things so you can focus on worshiping the Lord. And I was like, that is amazing. I just, I, I love that. There's a sister in our church who sets aside one day out of every week, every week, to care for a sick elderly person and their family. Every week, I'm going over today. There's a sister in our congregation who makes homemade cards and sends them to church members regularly and includes in those homemade cards verses to songs or scripture just as an encouragement to send to you when you need it or on your birthday. There's another sister in our congregation who likes to sing special songs for us on our birthdays. You've probably gotten a phone call. If you've been a member here for very long, you've gotten a phone call and you got a special song, and it's not just a birthday song, it's a unique song, sometimes a song that she has even written specifically for you, just to remind you that you're remembered, that you're loved, and that you're prayed for. There are many people who regularly write notes of encouragement, spurring others on to hope in Christ, and I've been the recipient of so many, and I've kept every one of them. I have a stack of letters from the body. There's a couple who regularly opens up their home to take in people during times of need. Financial crisis, health crisis, whatever. Uh, maybe they need to get out of an unsafe situation. Or they host family guests of others who, like many of us who live in, in Cracker Jack apartments, and when we have family come in town, we're like, oh, we don't have any place for them to stay. And this family will say, let them stay with us. Or hosting missionaries when they visit so they can rest. There's folks in our church who provide regular transportation for elderly members to go to their doctor's appointments or to go to the beauty, the beauty parlor. Or to give rides to those who struggle to get here on a Sunday morning because they just lack transportation or access to transportation. There's a brother in our congregation who's oriented his whole vocation around the call to make God's word accessible 
to people who would not otherwise be able to have access to the word. Maybe they can't read or, or maybe there's just cultural barriers or language barriers. And we have someone who said, God, God's laid it on my heart to make it accessible to them. And he's doing it worldwide now. We have young brothers who devote their time and labor to preach the word to us. And people who devote their time to teach Sunday school classes or lead community groups or Bible studies. I could go on about brothers and sisters who go above and beyond and minister to our children. I could go on about those who support others who are in financial trouble, who provide meals for the sick, who come along others regularly to comfort them in their afflictions and pray over them. There are, there are helpers here. God's been so good to his church at Edgewater. He's given us helpers to look to and to emulate. And I want you to know that's a gift of his grace. That's a gift of his grace. And for those who've received that grace, this is what Paul is saying to us. You've been given so much. Share it. Share that grace with others. That's what it's all about. The, the, the gospel is a message of God's grace. Paul would write, later write to the Corinthians in the second letter, chapter 8, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's, that's the gospel. The God of the universe looked on the lowly, miserable, sinning and suffering people that he created and he didn't leave us. He didn't leave us for his judgment. He came and he gave to us all that we might have life abundantly in him. And John says in 1 John 4, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's what Paul's been saying all throughout Corinthians. Somewhere this week, I can't remember where I, I heard it or read it, but um, I heard someone say, you know, looking back at the problems of the church in 2020, like this last year, uh, and not, not this church particularly, I'm the big C, the church, particularly like in, in the American church, looking back at the problems that we've experienced in the church this year, it wasn't an issue of us versus the world. Like you might expect the narrative to normally go, right? Like that's where the problems of the church, it's us versus them, us versus the world. You know, if we're suffering a persecution or oppression or whatever, that's not the problems that we're experiencing. The problems that we've experienced is us versus us. It's that we're not loving each other. We're not, we're not, reflecting the grace of God in the body of Christ because we're so inwardly focused. All of the divisions, all of the partisanship, all of the, all of the problems that have just so not been corrected by a year in which you would hope that there would be some correction. Like you've been humbled. We've been humbled by God this year. You'd think that that, that would bring us to a place of repentance and yet so much of the church's like more divided than ever. 
Us versus us. I think what Paul is trying to get us to see is that's always the problem. And the solution is when us becomes for us, not against us, when, when we become for us, when the church starts in the, in the household of God and learns what it means to love one another, that's when we become the church that's not against the world, but for it too. Where they can see the grace of God alive in people. We will be healthy when we look to Christ. And we will be healthy when we look to the helpers and by the grace of God emulate them. Paul ends with these words, and I will too. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so, Lord, this is our prayer. We pray that, that, that your words to us through your servant Paul over these last, I don't know, five, six months, that they would affect in us holiness, maturity, giving, humility, unity, and all of that, all of that, girded up and directed by love. A love for you and a love for one another. Lord, we confess that we are far from perfect. <laughs> we confess that, that we, we need help. We also rejoice that you've not left us. That your grace is greater than our sin. That your love for us is, is something that can never be separated from us. And that you've left us a tremendous blessing of godly men and women here at Edgewater that we can look to and learn from, that we can emulate, that, that we can follow their example, we can, we can follow them as they follow you. And I just pray, Lord, that that's what we would become more and more, that that's the kind of church we would be known as. That people, that group of people, they look to Jesus and, and they've got some, some, some wonderful examples to follow. Lord, let your grace reign in our lives and flow through our lives for your glory, for our good, and for the good of a world that needs to see something way better than it has currently been looking at. They need to see you. We pray that in Jesus' name.